Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. Everybody and welcome to the Friday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Gil Martin with you. Great to be here. Hope everybody is safe and well. And we have got some promising news to report. Uh, rumors more than news, but different things being talked about so far as the uh, plan for the resumption of play. And it seems like every day we get a little bit more news about that, and we'll talk about it and how it will affect the Islanders uh, as we get on in this show. We will also take a look back at one of the most famous moments in Islanders history on this date in Islanders history, and, uh, you know, it's it's a magic moment, probably uh, one of the top three moments in Islanders history of the 21st century. So we will talk about that event and uh, what it meant and talk a little bit about uh, the impact that it had on an Islanders team that was starving for victories at that point. And we will conclude our look back at the highlights of the 2019-2020 season so far with a up-close examination of the Islanders' 17-game point streak, a franchise record. So, Lots to talk about here on today's show. If you have a question, a comment, a topic that's on your mind, feel free to drop us an email. You can contact the show at LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com or you can uh, send a message on Twitter and follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles. And you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWars. N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I, and we'll keep you up to date on all the latest news and notes from the world of the New York Islanders. A couple of things to talk about here as we get started. One of them, just sort of one of those uh, fun things that the league is getting going uh, during this suspension of play due to the coronavirus pandemic Uh, The NHL and ESL Gaming have announced an NHL Player Gaming Challenge, and uh, basically, uh, players from all 31 teams, plus the expansion Seattle franchise, which will be uh, represented by Seahawks tight end Luke Wilson, uh, to, to represent the Seattle Expansion Club, they will all be getting together to play EA Sports' NHL 20, uh, 
and, and, you know, fans will be able to follow this tournament along with it and online. It should be fun. It's a nice little diversion. Uh, the quote, basically, from NHL Vice President of Business Development and Innovation, Chris Golier, over the past several weeks, the NHL, its clubs, and player community have been very active with gaming initiatives in an effort to connect with fans while social distancing, such as charity tournaments, simulated games, and nightly streams, the NHL Player Gaming Challenge will take gaming to another level. We know how competitive our players are, and coupled with the interaction between players, uh, these series of competitions will be extremely fun to watch. They'll get underway uh, next Thursday, that's April 30th. It will run four weeks, and fans will be able to watch all of these matchups on Sportsnet, NBCSN, it's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. And representing the New York Islanders will be the one, the only, Matt Martin. So we'll see how uh, Matty Martz does in this tournament, uh, almost certain that he will have some good tweets, as will uh, his wife, Sydney Esaias and Martin, and uh, they'll keep everybody up to date on how he is faring at the simulated games in the competition against other, you know, players from other NHL teams on NHL 20 by EA Sports. So, look, you know, is it an earth-shattering thing? No. But it will change things around a little bit. It'll it'll be a nice diversion, a little entertainment, sports-related, player-related, and, at the very least, fun. Meanwhile, the bigger news, the NHL one team, according to a report by the New York Post's Larry Brooks, has asked its players to be ready to report to some form of a training camp by March 15th to begin informal workouts that would, you know, take place before a training camp would open. Now, not every team has done this, and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly has essentially said, I don't know what clubs are telling their players. We have not specified or articulated any, quote, target dates to our clubs at this point, but the bottom line right now is if we're talking about, let's say, a two to three week training camp, you show up for informal workouts May 15th, you're looking at early to mid-June if they keep to that timetable as, you know, Gary Bettman, the commissioner, has indicated. We're talking two to three weeks of training camp uh, once things start to ramp up. But look, there are still a number of steps that have to happen before we can do that. Certainly, there has to be more testing available. Players have to be able to be together in a facility, not to get each other sick, their family sick, their friends, the the staff and trainers at the arena, the guy who drives the Zamboni, the coaches, the trainers. Everybody has to be able to be tested to be able to stay safe, to have a place to stay. So, look, there are a lot of logistical things that still need to be worked out. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, the good news is that 
the discussions that we are hearing now are more and more about how, when, where to resume. And whether it's a continuation of the regular season or we go straight into the playoffs, an expanded playoffs, it looks like everybody is serious about ensuring that if it's at all possible, and we don't know yet that it is, that the league will resume this season and eventually award the Stanley Cup in 2020. And it is going to be a challenge for the players to get back into game shape and get back into uh, the intensity of the playoff drive uh, or the playoffs once everything resumes. Either way, it's exciting. We're starting to hear you know, more serious talk in this direction. And all I could say is, folks, that is a positive development. I time for this date in Islanders history. And folks, this is a special this date in Islanders history. April 24th, 2002, game four of the Islanders playoff series, opening round playoff series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Coming into this game, the Leafs held a 2-1 series lead, Toronto winning game one in Toronto, 3-1, then a shutout win for the Maple Leafs in game two, 2-0. The series shifted back to the Coliseum, and the Islanders took a 6-1 win in Game 3. So, Islanders hoping to even up this series at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Very much a must-win game for an Islanders team that, you know, didn't want to fall behind 3-1 with two of the next three possible games up in Toronto. Islanders get on the board first. It happened midway through the first period. Alexi Yashin got his first of the playoffs. Assists to Mark Parrish and Adrian O'Coin at 10.30. And it was one to nothing Islanders. By the way, Curtis Joseph was the goalie for the Maple Leafs. Chris Osgood in between the pipes for the Islanders. But the Islanders, you know, it looked like they were going to go into the locker room with that one to nothing lead. But Oleg Kavasha called for slashing at 19-20 of the first period. Toronto gets the power play, and they take advantage. Alexander Mogilny, his second of the playoffs from Gary Roberts and Robert Reichel at 19:44. So, you know, 16 seconds left in the period. You always hate to give up those goals in the final minute of a period. The emotion, the momentum of a game does seriously change when that happens. And after the first period, the teams headed into the locker rooms all even at one apiece. In the second period, tough battle, a lot of uh, physicality out there. And at the end of the day, only one goal scored in that second period. Thomas Caberly of the Leafs, his second of the playoffs, Gary Roberts and Brian McCabe with the assists at 19-19. And after 40 minutes, it's Toronto 2 and the Islanders 1. Islanders battle back, though, and to their credit, they get back into the game in the third period with Carol Pilar in the box for tripping. It's the Islanders' power play and their chance to take 
uh, advantage and get back into this game. Kip Miller, his first in the playoffs from Marius Tchaikovsky and Kenny Janssen at 13-16, and we had a 2-2 tie in this contest. Then the Islanders get the lead a minute 40 seconds later. Roman Hammerlick, his first from Alexi Yashin at 14.56, Islanders 3, Maple Leafs 2. Coliseum is excited, but that lasts less than two minutes. Shane Corson, his first of the playoffs from Paul Healy and Alan McCauley at 16.34, game tied 3 Three looks like we may be headed to overtime again, but then the Islanders get a break, and this was a tough one. It was an exciting moment to say the least. Sean Bates, with an opportunity, goes in on a breakaway, and essentially Brian McCabe trips him up. He is awarded a penalty shot, and Bates goes in, lifts the shot over the right shoulder of Curtis Joseph on the penalty shot. Islanders with a 4-3 lead, time of the goal, 17-30. The Maple Leafs determined at this point to try to tie it up. They pull Curtis Joseph with a little more than a minute left on the clock, but Osgood keeps them off the board, and the Islanders escape with a 4-3 to three win, and I'll tell you something, when Bates scored, the entire Coliseum went absolutely nuts. A few years later, Sean Bates said, it's one of the greatest moments in my hockey career, and there's no question about that. Uh, he said, there was so much going through my head and my mind, I didn't really get to sit down and listen to the crowd noise. But, he, you know, when someone told him it was probably the loudest that the Coliseum had ever been, Bates said, that's funny because they won four Stanley Cups. And, you know, Ken Morrow, who was a scout for the Islanders at that point, he's the one who said it. I never heard the building louder than when Sean scored that penalty shot goal. So the Islanders hold on for the 4-3 win. The only multiple point scorer in this one is Alexi Yashin. He had a goal and an assist. A few Islanders were plus ones in this game. Kenny Janssen, Oleg Kavasha, Steve Webb, and Alexi Yashin. And as for shots on goal, uh, four shots on goal by Trent Hunter led the way. Adrian Okoin, Roman Hammerlick, and Alexi Yashin each had three shots on goal. Islanders beating the Maple Leafs after Chris Osgood gets 22 saves for the win. The series headed back to Toronto, all knotted up at two. Unfortunately, for the Islanders, the home team ended up winning each of these games in a seven-game series, and Toronto won game seven in Toronto to advance. But at that moment, that penalty shot goal by Sean Bates rocked the Coliseum like no other moment in the 21st century, 
and uh, definitely the biggest moment for the Islanders in the 21st century on the ice, probably until uh, uh, until John Tavares got the double overtime playoff winner to eliminate the Florida Panthers 14 years later. So an iconic moment for the Islanders on this date in Islanders history, April 24th, 2002. All right, so all week we've been discussing essentially the Islanders' highlights both on and off the ice from this season. And the biggest highlight, obviously, is the team's franchise record-setting 17-game point streak, the team going 15-0-2. And the Islanders, during this streak, did not lose a game in regulation between October 11th and November 26th. We're talking a 45-day period where your Islanders did not lose a hockey game. Here are some of the reasons and some of the statistics behind this streak. First of all, let's start with the fact that almost everybody was contributing. 17 different players scored at least one goal during the 17-game point streak, and 20 players had at least one point. Everybody was contributing. Matthew Barzal, 9 goals, 19 points, A plus 15. Brock Nelson, 6 goals, 16 points, A plus 3. And one player who really did contribute a lot during this streak, but then almost disappeared after it, is Derek Brassard. Now, you know, Brassard started the season on the third line as the center, was not productive. Due to some injuries, he moved up to wing on the second line. And during this 17-game streak, Brassard, six goals, 15 points, and a plus six. So, you know, everybody contributing and people just stepping up when other people went down, making a big difference. Goaltending-wise, Simeon Varlamov, 7-0-2 over the course of this streak, playing very well. But Tomas Grice, 8-0-0 during the streak, a 1.96 goals against average, and a 9.44 save percentage. And, you know, the thing about streaks like this, first of all, both goalies playing well at the same time, and throughout this streak, Trotz was alternating Grice and Varlamov. That, by far, was the most effective uh, plan for the Islanders goaltenders. It kept them both rested. It kept them both interested. It kept them both sharp. And although I don't think it's the only reason that the team's overall goals against went up once the rotation was ended, obviously the Adam Pellick injury had a lot to do with it as well, but I, I think that goaltending system was a very good thing. Uh, the streak began October 12th with a 3-2 shootout win over the Florida Panthers. Uh, the last game of the streak was November 21st, a 4-3 overtime win against 
Pittsburgh. They outscored opponents 59 to 36. That includes shootout goals uh, during this 17-game streak. There were nine regulation wins, four overtime wins, two shootout wins, and two overtime losses. And here's another thing when you look at it. Game-winning goals. They really spread it out. When I said everyone was contributing and everyone took a turn stepping up, here are the game-winning goals. Brock Nelson had four. Three of them came in overtime. One was a shootout winner, so it's not an official game-winning goal. But in the shootout, he got what became the game winner. So three overtime game winners and one winner in a shootout for Brock Nelson. Devon Taves had an overtime game-winning goal during this streak. Matthew Barzal had one. Anders Lee had one. Matt Martin. Ryan Pulak. Josh Bailey. Derek Broussard. Cole Bardro, the rookie, he had his first career NHL goal on a penalty shot, and it was the game winner. Scotty Mayfield had one. Casey Sezikis with a game-winning goal, and Jordan Eberle had a shootout winner, which again is not officially a game-winning goal, but it was the goal in the shootout that won the hockey game for the Islanders. At the end of the shootout, uh, excuse me, at the end of the streak, the season was 21 games old, roughly a quarter of the way through this season. The Islanders were 16 wins, three losses, and two overtime losses. 16-3-2. They were first at that point in goals against stingiest defense in the league, and they were playing some of their best hockey. After the streak ended, and it was a 3 to nothing loss to the uh, Anaheim Ducks, Barry Trotz basically, with these two quotes, it's hard to be hungry when you're full, and we had a lot of guys who were full. That was his quote after the streak-ending loss, shutout loss to Anaheim. He also added, you just understand there's a certain price you have to pay to win every game. We've been paying the price for a long time, and we deserved a lot of the points we've gotten. Tonight, we didn't pay enough for that, the fee to win a hockey game, and they, in this case the Ducks, paid a little bit more, so they deserve to win. But the fact of the matter is, for 17 games early in this season, the Islanders paid that price, got a lot of, you know, one-goal wins and overtime wins and shootout wins, but they played consistent hockey. They picked each other up. Different players kept stepping up. Players were willing to play out of position when needed. And at the end of the day, this team set a new franchise record breaking the record of 15 straight games with a point. Those were all wins back in 1981-82, the third year of the four-year Cup dynasty teams. So, look, right now, this 17-game point streak feels like it was a long time ago, but it happened. It shows you what this team is capable of, and now, 
with Jean-Gabriel Pajot uh, added to this lineup and with Andy Green added to this lineup and assuming this team is healthy when everybody returns, hopefully in about a month to start, you know, getting ready for the resumption of play, this team is capable of a lot of things. And if they get hot at the right time, they are capable of a long playoff run. But obviously, first, they've got to qualify for the playoffs. Lots to look forward to once play does resume. And we'll be with you every step of the way right here with Locked On Islanders. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a national or international, North American-wide perspective on the world of hockey. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Keep the social distancing going, and we will get through this together. Islander fans are the best, and we'll stick through everything and help each other get through this difficult time. Have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday with another show, and let's go Islanders.